Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And of course, also brought to you by PolicyPack Software. Now part of Netrix, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Another month, another Patch Tuesday. And this Patch Tuesday brought 64 vulnerability fixes in the Windows updates five of which are rated as critical, 57 rated as important, and one rated as moderate, with one rated as low in severity. This is in addition to 16 vulnerabilities that were patched in the Edge browser this month. The Hacker News report suggests that this means that Microsoft has now surpassed 1,000 vulnerability fixes so far this year, which is close to the total of 1,200 fixes in all of 2021. Of the vulnerabilities patched this month, CVE-2022-37969 is one that you definitely want to pay attention to as it's being actively exploited, and that one has a severity rating of 7.8 out of 10. This is a privilege escalation flaw affecting the Windows Common Log File System driver, or CLFS driver, which could be leveraged by a hacker to gain system privileges on an already compromised asset. Some of the other critical flaws of note include CVE-2022-34718, which gets a 9.8 out of 10, and that's a Windows TCP IP remote code execution vulnerability. There's also Dash 34721, which again is 9.8, so pretty high, and that's a Windows Internet Key Exchange Protocol Extensions remote code execution vulnerability. And there's another one of those that's under 34722, And that also has a 9.8 out of 10. There's two vulnerabilities that get an 8.8 out of 10 that concerns a Microsoft 365 on-premises remote code execution vulnerability. And those are Dash 34700 and 35805. Now, usually when Patch Tuesday has just passed on this podcast, I would just cover some of the vulnerabilities that have been patched. And then next week would usually come the news of things that have been broken by said patches. Well, this week was a little bit different. After the release of the September patches, Joe Stalker shared that one of his customers has already encountered a problem with the patch. And this patch is KB5017308. And the issue being noticed is that group policies that replace a file on a Windows 10 client are setting the destination file to zero bytes instead of copying the source file on top of it. He said that an uninstall fixes the bug and he has a critical ticket open with Microsoft. But others in the patch management mail group, which if you haven't joined it, you really should, have also experienced issues with the patch, saying they've been noticing issues with group policies and it only happens with the user policy GPOs using a checkbox 
for run-in user security context. So if you have the run-in user security context checkbox, you may notice some issues with processing group policy objects after installing this patch. They said unticking that box seemed to allow it to work, but also in some cases, the machines that were having the problem required a reboot before the group policies would then correctly process. It appears, at least at this time, that computer-based group policy objects are not affected, but obviously user-based group policy objects being affected is a pretty big deal. So this is going to be one you want to take extra caution with this month. And of course, other vendors have also released patches such as Cisco, Adobe, Apple, and more. And speaking of which, Sophos issued a helpful reminder to Apple customers. Some have reported that they have not received the install option for iOS 16, which was released earlier this week. They only see an update for the 15.7 release of iOS. Well, if 15.7 is available to you when you check for updates, you should at least install that because there has been a bug disclosed as CVE-2022-32917. Fortunately, once again, this is a vulnerability in the Apple operating systems that is being currently actively exploited. And it's said that this may allow a malicious application to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges. And if you're on iPad OS, iOS, Mac OS, you want to get patched. But more to the point, Sophos is warning that, you know, if you're out there and you're looking for iOS 16 and it's not there, but you see 15.7, at least install version 15.7 that's available because it includes a patch for this vulnerability that is being actively exploited. They also actually indicated in their report that the vulnerability did exist in iOS 16 as well. iOS 16 is brand new, but it still had that vulnerability. But if you are in the process of updating from version 15.x to 16, the latest version of 16 that you will Download and install as part of your upgrade does include a patch for this vulnerability. And speaking of iOS 16, Microsoft acknowledged that iOS and iPad OS 15 devices enrolled with user enrollment in Intune are unable to successfully update to iOS 16 in some cases. It said that user enrolled devices into Intune between September 16, 2021 and the August 2208 Intune releases may be susceptible to this issue. They say you can see the device enrollment date within Microsoft Endpoint Manager Admin Center reporting by going to Devices, iOS, iPadOS, and on the overview page, you'll see the enrollment date column. And with this issue, if the device updates from 15 to 16, users will be presented with an error stating new MDM payload does not match the old payload. At the device level, the enrolled devices are not able to update their management profile. And when the management profiles are not updated, the device could lose compliance, which depending on your policies may block access to other company resources. They say that a device having this issue can be unenrolled and re-enrolled, which will apply a new management profile and the new OS. Microsoft have indicated they're working on a mitigation where you will not need to take this step in future. When scripting this week's episode, a brand new story about a serious security flaw in Microsoft Teams was just published. 
And according to bleepycomputer.com, Teams is storing user authentication tokens in clear text without protecting access, which could potentially give threat actors access to authentication tokens and accounts with multi-factor authentication turned on. This vulnerability impacts Windows, Linux, and macOS. And macOS. An attacker with local access on a system where Teams is installed could steal the tokens and use them to log into the victim's account. No special permissions are required, and the report suggests the fact Teams is an Electron-based app works against it on a security basis as encryption is not possible. Security firm Vectra developed an exploit by abusing an API call that allows sending messages to oneself. And using SQLite Engine to read the cookies database, the researchers received the authentication tokens as a message in their chat window. The report suggests a patch is unlikely to be released. And Vector's recommendation is to switch to using the browser version of Teams. They say if you can't move to the browser-based Teams, you can create a monitoring rule to discover processes accessing directories. And they include a list of directories, but like, for example, one of them is the app data slash Microsoft slash team slash cookies directory. But there's several directories that includes Windows, Mac OS and Linux. And I'll share a link to this article for a full list that you want to set up monitoring on. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 247. At this time, Bleepy Computer said they reached out to Microsoft for comment, but at the time of this scripting, no reply had been received. Some good news for Microsoft security, AutoPatch now uses certificate-based authentication leveraging Microsoft's first-party application work, Modern Workplace Management. This is said to be a dramatic improvement to the security posture of AutoPatch and reduces much of the complex back-end workload of password rotation across customer environments. This also streamlines the tenant enrollment process thanks to a 50% reduction in prerequisites. So I believe you actually had to have three service accounts and four groups and one conditional access policy in order to use the service. But going forward, that's not going to be a requirement. They say if you did enroll your tenant in AutoPatch prior to August 17th, 2022, you will soon get instructions on how to remove the service accounts that you previously created. And with this recent update, you can easily detect and take action to remediate configuration mismatches or other issues in your environments that prevent devices from receiving software updates from AutoPatch. Before the most recent update, you can also generate reports for enrolled devices. And switching from AutoPatch to AutoPilot, Michael Niehaus shared a tweet this week from the Workspace Ninja Summit that was held in Switzerland, where Juanita Baptiste shared a roadmap for Microsoft AutoPilot that included some features in development and some that are in planning. And this includes out-of-box experience block on local account creation at Azure Active Directory login, improved technician flow experience for required apps, an automatic log collection, autopilot on Surface Hub. You'd be able to continue install on error for pre-provisioning, Windows quality updates in the out-of-box experience, and also one-step deregistration in MDM. And all of those are in development but also in planning include some deployment reports, troubleshooting reports, scope tags, autopilot refresh, and more. 
Over the last week, the Citrix acquisition got approved by regulators. Meanwhile, VMware have found themselves on the wrong end of the SEC, with the SEC charging VMware for misleading investors by obscuring financial performance. The SEC stated VMware used its order backlog management practices to push revenue into future quarters by delaying product deliveries to customers, concealing the company's slowing performance relative to its projections. The SEC's order finds that beginning in the fiscal year 2019, VMware began delaying the delivery of license keys on some sales orders until just after quarter end so that it could recognize revenue from the corresponding license sales in the following quarter. According to the SEC's order, VMware shifted tens of millions of dollars in revenue into future quarters, building a buffer in those periods and obscuring the company's financial performance as its business slowed relative to projections in the fiscal year 2020. Although VMware publicly disclosed that its backlog was, quote, managed based upon multiple considerations, end quote, it did not reveal to investors that it used the backlog to manage the timing of the company's revenue recognition. Mark Cave, the associate director in the Division of Enforcement, stated, quote, as the SEC's order finds, by making misleading statements about order management practices, VMware deprived investors of important information about its financial performance. Such conduct is incompatible with an issuer's disclosure obligations under the federal securities laws, end quote. The SEC's order finds that VMware violated anti-fraud provisions of the Securities Act of 1933, as well as certain reporting provisions of the federal securities laws. Without admitting or denying the findings in the SEC's orders, VMware consented to a cease and desist order and to pay an $8 million penalty. SiliconRepublic.com reported this week that Broadcom and Intel have said that Wi-Fi 7 is ready to be implemented and it brings reduced latency, better range, greater reliability, and speeds of up to 5 gigabits per second. In testing, they used an Intel Core processor-based laptop connected to a Broadcom Wi-Fi 7 access point. Intel have said the latest version of Wi-Fi has a range of new features such as a wider 320MHz channels in the unlicensed 6GHz spectrum, higher order of 4K QAM data modulation, simultaneous connections across multiple bands, and improved channel utilization efficiency. The simultaneous connections across multiple bands sounds actually pretty interesting. Broadcom said that it will lay the foundation for emerging applications such as 16K video streaming, real-time collaboration, wireless gaming, and immersive augmented and virtual reality. So this is a pretty impressive turnaround on Wi-Fi 7, seeing as though, wi seeing as though Wi-Fi 6 only became available in 2019. For their side, Intel had some other announcements this week on the CPU side of their business with claims their 13th generation Raptor Lake CPUs run at 6 GHz at stock and 8 GHz when overclocked. The Verge reports the Raptor Lake CPU lineup is yet to be officially announced, so it's unclear which or how many of the generation's processors will be able to hit these kinds of clock speeds. Since it hasn't been announced, official pricing and release date information has not yet been made public, 
but Intel is set to reveal more details at their innovation event that's going to be held in San Jose, California on September 27th. And the report suggests unlikely to be a coincidence, but it's the same day that AMD is set to release their Ryzen 7000 processors. Microsoft have announced improvements to the experience customizing your Windows Terminal themes and the Windows Terminal app now uses dark mode by default instead of the system theme. This means if you prefer the light theme, you're going to have to manually set that because now dark is going to be the default. Moreover, the latest release brings a new text rendering engine and some improvements to the settings within the UI color schemes page. In some great news, multiple versions of the .NET framework are now available via Windows Package Manager. This includes the full version 6, the maintenance version of 3.1, out of support version 5, and a preview version for 7.0. And you can install these versions of .NET SDK R runtime, obviously using the winget install command, but an example would be winget install Microsoft dot dotnet.sdk.6 and there's a full list of examples and the short names that you can use in order to do the install from Windows Package Manager and I'll share a link to that article with this episode which again is episode 247. There's been an update to the remote desktop client and this new version which is 1.2.3497 includes accessibility improvements through increased color contrast in the virtual desktop connection blue bar, updated connection information dialogue to distinguish between RDP short path for managed and public networks, fixed bugs, improved client logging, updates to Teams for Azure Virtual Desktop, including a fix for an issue that caused calls to disconnect when using a microphone with a high sample rate, and also resolved a connectivity issue with older RDP stacks. Finally, for the news this week, the awesome Guy Leach has announced that he's going to run a one-day face-to-face workshop to impart his PowerShell knowledge to help people improve their PowerShell skills to make faster, more robust, and secure scripts. And if you're interested, check out Guy's Twitter account, which is Guy R. Leach, G-U-Y-R-L-E-E-C-H. And Guy is posting a poll to figure out where the first event should be held. So this is a really great opportunity to learn from one of the best. If you're interested, for sure, go check out Guy, follow him on Twitter and answer his poll. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. And first up, wouldn't you know it, it's Guy Leach who shared some handy PowerShell commandlets for ways to get the last time since reboot on a machine. I'm not gonna read out the commandlets, but I suggest you either check out the YouTube edition of this episode to see see the commandlets for yourself, or of course, just go to the reference links for this episode. My buddy Morris Daly shared that the Windows Update Compliance Dashboard version 8 has now been released, and they've said the dashboard has been massively overhauled to display items such as trending update compliance over time, Windows update for business issues, feature update trends, delivery optimization details, 
Windows 11 readiness, and third-party application information. So if you haven't seen the Windows Update Compliance Dashboard, I suggest you check it out. Again, you could look at the YouTube version of this episode and you'll see an example of the dashboard, but it's a really stunning, it's a beautiful looking dashboard. And obviously update compliance is such a big issue for security and organizations that this kind of data is invaluable. And the fact it's presented nicely is just the cherry on top. And to promote some of my own work, this week, I published a blog on accelerating automated desktop builds and achieving a single golden image using an RPA, which in this case was Automate, and also using Numescent Cloud Pager. So essentially kind of automating the build of a gold image for Windows 365, a custom image that just installs a couple of agents into the image and uploads that into Microsoft Endpoint Manager and makes it ready for provisioning. And then once I provision the desktop, because I've installed the cloud paging player and cloud paging client on it, once that desktop or cloud PC is up, I log into it, all my applications come in. So it keeps that custom image very light. Make sure your VM size within Windows 365 is as small as possible. So you don't pay like a ridiculous amount every month for those cloud PCs. And the applications are dynamically delivered per user using Azure Active Directory groups. It's awesome. So check that out. Brad Wyatt shared a blog post on creating a Microsoft 365 automated offboarding process with SharePoint, Graph API, and PowerShell. The awesome Morton Petholt shared a blog actually a few weeks ago on how to resize group-based licenses for Cloud PC with PowerShell. And I somehow missed it when it was published, but I think someone else had also shared a PowerShell on doing something for Office 365 licensing, which is what I went to. But hey, I didn't need to. <laughs> I could have just looked at Morden's example here that's actually Cloud PC specific. Oliver Kaiselback had published a blog this week on getting back your Intune Win32 app requirements in detection scripts. So it looks like in this example, I guess if you wipe your tenant, you might lose data or something like that and need to retrieve data or if something goes wrong. And there's other examples of other data within Intune uh, retrieving that back, but this one specifically on Win32 app requirement and detection scripts. My buddy James O'Regan published a new episode of his Life on the Edge podcast, and this one is around Teams optimization for Azure Virtual Desktop, so check that out. Finally, Ben Whitmore, who I featured on multiple scripts, tricks, and tips of the past, had a blog post on getting started with Microsoft Graph and Win32 apps. So Graph seems to be coming very much into prominence now. Seems to be the center of all data retrieval when it comes to Azure right now. So this is a great opportunity to get started with Microsoft Graph using an example of Win32 apps. So I apologize if the audio is a little bit off this week. It's not really going to be the audio per se. It is my voice because when you know school started back last week and the kids brought something home. So my voice is pretty strained. I hope it wasn't too bad. As usual, I haven't missed an actual calendar week of doing this podcast since it started over three years ago. I tend to take the approach of it's better to put out one where my voice is strained than miss a week because I haven't missed a week yet. It would be a bummer to miss one. 
So I hope it's okay for everyone. And I hope my voice is back to normal next week and catch you all then.